Turb Alfred, the team on the brass, and Carson Sestouli. This is Fangraphs Audio. Devout listeners of the podcast will know that uh, a couple episodes ago, I spoke with Brandon McCarthy, uh, who is both articulate uh, about himself as a pitcher uh, and also a right-hander for the Arizona Diamondbacks. Not quite an... He is both those things. But the point is that I... Uh, I had that conversation with Brandon McCarthy, uh, as I mentioned then, and in the bowels of Miller Park, uh, which is to say also the Diamondbacks Clubhouse. Nice bowels, though, uh, so far as bowels go. Uh, that same day, I had the pleasure of having a sit-down, uh, of having a sit-down with Arizona Diamondbacks beat reporter uh, for the Arizona Republic, which is a newspaper, Nick Picoro. Picoro and I talked for uh, about 30 minutes, actually right in the cafeteria area for the uh, Miller Park press box, so decidedly not in the bowels, uh, above the bowels, probably more in the uh, the chest area, uh, if that makes more sense, the high, the upper chest area. Uh, we, we sat there and uh, talked in the, uh, the cafe area in the press box uh, on a number of uh, matters, but uh, some of them involving um, what it's like to be a beat reporter, I guess, uh, the sort of effort it requires. How Picoro uh, himself got into this racket is kind of a baseball-related autobiography so far as that's concerned. And uh, without shocking you, the listener, too much, uh, we discussed some uh, whimsical topics, some more whimsical or irreverent topics. In any case, uh, it was a real pleasure. Uh, Picoro was a, um, a real nice guy, real real pleasure to talk to, as the listener will soon find out. Because what's happening right now is this is uh, an addition, this is an episode of Fangraphs Audio featuring uh, Arizona Diamondbacks beat reporter for the Arizona Republic, Nick Picoro, uh, and it begins right now. So I just hit record, but so it's you now happening. Yeah, so you just invoked the fact that I start recording in the mark in a Mark Marin fashion, and I steal that from Mark Marin. Yeah. Okay. So just as long as we are at least upfront about it, everybody knows that entirely derivative. Okay, that would be okay. fine. Um, so, uh, so first thing I should say is, if I ask you anything that you don't want to answer, you should tell me to shove it. You should feel very comfortable doing that. Okay. You okay. should. You do feel comfortable doing it. I, I don't, but I, it's nice of you to say that. <laughs> we uh, we are in the. Uh, I actually don't know if this is allowed. It's sort of a dining hall. Yeah, this is the this is the dining area, the cafeteria area, for the press box for the Brewers. We're here. You're you're here because you're a proper beat writer. I'm here for reasons that I don't think either of us really understand. I I think the the reasons are probably right behind you, in the form of deliciousness. Yeah, uh, I think that uh, what I see gesturing to with your head there, I think is probably a complimentary frozen yogurt bar. And the and the free milkshake machine. Free milkshake, yeah. No, I have not actually utilized either. Have you have you sampled? Uh, Over the years, yeah, I've, I've tried it. Yeah. I, I think that uh, I think that it is probably the second best um, sweets uh, setup in the National League. Oh, this is the sort. Th- this is the information. Nick Picoro, before you say anything, you're, you are a valuable resource as far as this is concerned. Well, number one would have to be 
uh, the Graham Slam ice cream in Philadelphia. That's, okay. That's the best. And what is, tell me about, this is just the, for, for the press, or? Yeah, yeah, it's it's just up in their dining area, you you, you pay your. Wait, sorry, to pause, would you say it's all up in their dining area? <laughs> <laughs> you pay your $10, yeah. and uh, and I think that uh, you get a little you get a little ticket that gives you some ice cream as well, so it's a, it's a good setup there. Okay, yeah, no, but um, did I mention this is complimentary? You did. Okay, yeah, all right, just for this, curious. Um, now, I'm not actually, like, I'm not really a brewer supporter, uh, per se, so I don't take offense to... Oh, sorry. Clean table. Yeah. <laughs> the, um, I don't take offense. You can say whatever you need to, but... Um, so, so in terms of ice cream, Philadelphia is going to be number one in your in your rankings of power so far as ice cream is concerned. Easily, okay. yeah, right. yeah. It's not. I, I don't. I mean, unless I'm forgetting somebody, I don't think it's it's even close. But can I? Uh, what, what is happening here? So I, I have a notebook open. Uh, I'm a, listen. I, I don't know if I explained this to you, Nick. Uh, I should say I'm here with Nick Pecoro. Nick Pecoro. Pecoro. Okay. Not Pietacoro. I'm here with Nick Pecoro of the uh, Arizona Republic. You are the you are the beat writer for for the Diamondbacks. For the Diamondbacks, yeah, and yeah, yeah, the Arizona Republic. Republic, yeah. And uh, what I need to inform you is I'm a f-ing podcast professional. <laughs> I, I, I guess I've only been on podcasts with with a bunch of oh, amateurs, amateurs. yeah, yeah, because yeah. I've never seen anyone taking notes. Yeah, so this is so what I what I was uh, the note I was taking here was when you said over the years. Ah, um, and I was going to say, um, how many years have you been doing this? This this is the beginning of my seventh season as a, wow. as a beat writer. And it should be said, you are you, you have a youthful look. Well, thank you. About you, I don't actually know your real age. Do we need to get into that? No, but um, but here, let me ask you a thing because um, so for example, here in so I, I grew up in Boston, and Boston was you know Bob Ryan, Dan Shaughnessy, maybe Gordon Eads came through. I think yeah. those are older men. They they've always been older than me, um, and they've stayed the same amount older than me. For as long as I've been alive, um, here, for example, Tom Hodgecourt is a—he's uh, a, he's an older gentleman, got quite a bit of gray. Uh, Adam McAlvey is younger, I guess uh, that's a thing. But you—you, you, I would say you skew younger so far as beat reporters go. Is that the case? I, well, it's funny how it works. I mean, I—I I definitely was was among the youngest. Uh, I think Dylan Hernandez and I uh, covers the Dodgers for the LA Times. Okay, sure. We're probably the youngest beat writers um, when we both got started. We both got started the same season. And uh, there are quite a few that are now younger than us. Is that right? Sure. Yeah. I mean, I think that Matt Gelb, who covers the Phillies, might be the youngest. Andy okay. McCullough is right around Matt's age. Um, he's a uh, now a Yankees beat writer. Mm-hmm. Um, those two guys are probably the youngest in the league. I, I would imagine Jane Lee, who covers the A's for MLB.com, is very okay, young right. as well. But right. yeah, we're, you're, you're, I'm, I'm probably in that younger bracket. So how does this fraternity work of, of beat writers? And Because... You go around to all these cities, right? So you're in uh, you're in Milwaukee now. Where, like, where's next for you? Do you we go back home? Oh, you go back home. Okay, but you, you frequently you go to two or three towns consecutively, and I imagine that you know, like any uh, peer group, there's some people with whom you get along particularly well. Uh, there's some people where you just more, hey, how you doing? Professional yeah. acquaintance. But like, how does this work? Uh, I mean, you develop relationships, but maybe only three days at a time or something <laughs> like this. Yeah, and then we all end up getting together, you know, at at the all-star game or at the winter meetings or, or things like that it's not very often that that all of us are together so we wind up you know spending a lot of time together at those things but yeah it it's weird you just sort of 
like, like Trent Rosecrans, who's a, a Reds writer, yeah. um, was was in the press box at Chase Field, you know, probably my first year on the beat, and I'm up, I'm at my iTunes up, and uh, I see he he was like sharing his iTunes, and I like just went over to him like, hey, you have good taste in music, and then we just start talking music. We've been friends ever since. Okay, right. so it's just I don't know, you just you just kind of you just kind of make friends, and right. you're right, it's like I think. Uh, I think I, I remember Buster Olney saying this about um, about baseball players uh, and like how you know baseball players have a bad rap at least in terms of getting along with the media and you know at least compared to say hockey players who everybody says are amazing. But Buster used to say like you know you take a group of twenty five people, you're probably going to be pretty good friends with a couple. You're probably going to be not that big a fan of a you know maybe one or two. And then you're going to be kind of take them or leave them for the others, right. you know. And right. I, that's probably the case with with any group of people. And I, I mean, I'm not great friends with every baseball writer, but right. you know, there's not very many that I don't like. Are there? Um, obviously, there are certain requirements uh, to becoming a beat writer. Um, yeah, I mean, one of them is you have to have a pretty good handle over English, and you seem fluent. So, Thank you. So yeah. Um, so congratulations. <laughs> and. Uh, um, and, but, and of course, like you have to have uh, some training. You also, at some level, I assume, have to pay your dues. And uh, maybe we can get to that in a second. How you, how precisely you did that? But what other traits do you sense that uh, beat writers share that may sort of set them apart from the general population? Um, I think there's maybe not necessarily a love of minutia, but at least an ability to recognize it and just sort of pick out that one little detail that maybe doesn't sound like that big of a deal mm-hmm. and then you see it you see it when you're like talking with the manager and a TV person or radio person will ask a certain question and then like the manager says like one small little thing mm-hmm. and we're like oh so he's throwing that pitch now in this situation right, or right. oh he's you know and we just kind of grab a hold of that one thing and, and like we were just we have this ability to recognize something that might seem sort of minor and kind of turn it into a story um, and I imagine it's it's sort of strange. I, I don't know. But I think you grew up in Phoenix. Is that right? I did. Yeah. yeah. Um, but of course, the team would not have been there. Right. Um, so I assume you had some sort of interest in baseball, but it would have been far off by now. Yeah. Name. Yeah. Um, I don't really know why, but I grew up a St. Louis Cardinals fan. Okay. Um, it might have been the color or the bird, or I don't know. Um, I like Ozzie Smith was my favorite player when sure. I was a kid. He was at the end of his career, but I you know loved him. And, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I was, I was really into, uh, I, I was really into baseball cards. I was, I was definitely into the, the, the looking up of the box scores and, you know, opening up the paper the next morning. Um, and I think that it all kind of led to me, uh, I, I had a friend too who, who played, uh, his dad taught him how to play APA, the tabletop board game. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With, yeah, with yeah. Dice. yeah. It's, right. It was it's an a, amazing a, game. A cousin of, uh, Stratomatic. Strat, yeah, yeah, right. Sure. right. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I think, like, I, I still keep score in my scorecard the same way that I would have kept score for an APA game, um, just on lined paper. And, um, yeah, so, I mean, I think, like, just the, the whole, uh, certainly some of the numbers of it got me into it. And I, I don't, I still don't really know why I like the Cardinals, but, but that was kind of where it right. started. So, so the thing, though, with now covering a team, uh, professionally, like, oh, I do. I gotta look at this. you mentioned that I, this idea of minutia, right? It's like, you you essentially like you see the team every day, and so it's, I'm sure that more than anyone, you're likely to you know outside the coaching staff or other sort of personnel, you're likely to see these sorts of distinct differences day to day. Yeah, um, and so that this is like a 
this is now your job is to see that. I mean, do, have you sort of noticed you, yourself becoming so well acquainted with the team that anything is kind of off-center you, you notice right away? Yeah, it's weird. I mean, last season... I, I won't name names, but there was a guy that started showing up to the ballpark just a little bit later than everybody else, and you just kind of like pick up on that. It's very weird. Uh-huh. I, I don't, I, I, I don't think that you can really teach yourself to know what you're looking for, but you've just been around. I mean, what is it? The I remember from um, one of the Gladwell books. How many hours of practice? Is, oh, right, right, ten thousand hours. Yeah, yeah. Right, right. And um, I think uh, uh, Jonah Lara wrote a book exactly like that, didn't he? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> sure. And um, word I, for word, it, <laughs> almost exactly. Um, and uh, I, I think like you just do it, and often enough, you just kind of start to recognize what's weird and what's not weird. Right, right. Um, in terms of uh, or another thing, I've noticed um, just from very brief time spent uh, in press boxes is that uh, being a beat writer is like a lot of work, um, especially in terms of the way things move. Is that sometimes a lot of work is expected of you in a very short amount of time? Can you sort of talk about that a little bit, especially like turning a story around? Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, I guess should I like kind of talk about my day, like in a yeah. Let's do that. Yeah, yeah I mean, you, okay. I, I generally will, will will get up and go on the internet and see what's happening in the baseball world and try to catch up on everything that happened last night and the things that I'm interested in reading that you know that, that and the things that I really ought to read, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and that's like when I'm on the road, right? So it's I'm probably getting out of my hotel room sometime around noon, getting lunch, going to the ballpark. I, I'll probably get to the ballpark sometime in the two to three o'clock range for a night game. Um, you know, and, and like, there's a lot of, there's just a lot of little things that you kind of, it becomes a very, I guess what I like a lot about it is that there's, there's a regimen to it, and, and there's things that are expected, but like, different stuff happens every day, so even though I've been doing it all of this time, I, you know, I, it seems like it's a different thing that's happening every day. I, I, I really like that. Um, but, you know, I'm, I'm trying to collect information for my blog, I'm trying to collect, uh, stuff for my notebook. I'm trying to come up with a unique angle for my uh, my, my main story that's going to end up in the paper, mm-hmm. often written around the game. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, you're trying to come up with, at least the way I look at it, is, is three unique kind of newsy or interesting angles um, every day. So, like, today, for example, mm-hmm. um, we talked to the manager about Keith Bell's struggles the other night. Uh, he still hasn't pitched in the game since that first game. Okay. Um, I've... We, we talked about Martin Prado and kind of, you know, whether he's, whether his selflessness is necessarily good for the team, okay. you know. So, like, when you hear this thing about Heath Bell to start off with, yeah. are you like, are you sort of like, oh, is that more feature? Is that more notebook? Like, how does, is that what you're kind of su- trying to suss out? Yeah, yeah. But I think it's also tricky, too. Like, I was just writing, uh, before we sat down to start this, I was writing the Heath Bell part, mm-hmm. and it's as of now, probably going to be the, the lead note for my notebook. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also a chance, though, that because we're talking before this game, uh, right. that he will get in it and something could happen, right. in which case I will have to completely rewrite it and it maybe wouldn't be a, a lead note or, or a, a note at all. Right. And so you, when you talk about rewriting, it seems like a lot of being uh, a B reporter, especially if you're responsible for game stories, is one game story is the one that people see in the paper or read online. Is like can frequently be the result of like four or five failed failed game stories <laughs> because um, chance intervened or reality intervened to make it more difficult. Yeah, for sure. I mean, there I feel like a lot of my best game stories have never been published. You uh-huh. know, I, I I feel like I can't remember who I was joking with this about, but some I was saying with somebody that we should all we should all like collect our best you know game stories that never were mm-hmm. and like 
publish them all in a book or something. I, I think it'd be kind of fun to read. And, like, we get to publish what actually happened in the game and the things that we're... You know, like, we all have these angles in, like, the seventh inning of, like, all this great stuff that, that just happened in the game and that why this was going to be such an, an amazing outcome for this particular player. Uh-huh. And then it just all goes up in smoke, and it's like we almost we almost never revisit it sometimes. Right. Now, um, you're clearly sympathetic to... Uh, uh, sabermetrics to uh, any sort of baseball analysis. Yeah. I think that's that's uh, that's obvious. I'm curious um, because a lot of what the game story will require is you know your your job is really to to amplify the import of certain events um, or into into look to sort of suss out meaning right, which may or may not seem artificial in the moment right. So I'm curious for you like. Knowing certain things about you know the, re- the underlying realities of the game, but then also knowing that that you you do want to provide some sort of narrative because this is a, just a thing to which humans naturally respond. Yeah. How do you how do you balance those concerns? Um, I I try to I try to be as realistic as possible. Mm-hmm. Like the other night, they they played that 16 inning game against the Cardinals. Yes. They came back I think four times. Um, and there was a sense in the clubhouse uh, that maybe this could be one of those games that kind of gets them rolling and maybe starts their identity. And, I mean, I think I wrote something where we could very well look back on this in a few weeks or a few months and roll our eyes and be like, that's ridiculous. Right. But you never really know, and that's kind of the thing about baseball, right? And, right. you know, I was even talking to, to Brandon McCarthy, who also is very sympathetic to, you know, analysis and, and rationality, I think. And he was saying the same sort of thing, just that, you know, his A's team sort of got on a roll mm-hmm. and inexplicably stayed on it, or right. the Orioles. And it had to start somewhere, right? So, I mean, I, I think that when you look at, at those things, you're just trying to you're trying to leave open the possibility that, that, the, that things will play out in the way that the narrative is. But you're also, like, looking at it and saying, eh, maybe not. Well, yeah, and actually, I read your, I read your piece um, with regard to the, the 16-inning win, and I saw Brandon McCarthy's quote, and I thought that was actually sort of interesting because he was like, well, maybe it means something, maybe it doesn't, right. but it can't hurt. If you, if you sort of begin to self-identify as a team, it's like we come back, and you have that sense. Like, certainly you can expect that baseball players playing at their most confidently are probably they're either the same or slightly better than themselves when they don't believe as much. <laughs> Right, right. And I I guess, like, I think a lot of us probably were kind of... um, McCarthy, certainly, he's talked about it before, but but myself as a writer was sort of... um, We we learned a lot from reading Fire Joe Morgan. Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes when when you are starting to go a little bit overboard on your narrative, that that does that actually does pop into my head like, it's a okay, am I yeah, yeah. Am, am I, is this come on like is this going to just get mocked merc- mercilessly? Uh-huh. Um, and I think sometimes and like I said, I, I included the line in the story. Like sometimes you're like, look, I'm going to check myself. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like I am going to say that maybe this is sort of silly. Right, 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 right. Um, now I know that um, I've learned a lot about. Uh, uh, beat writing and respo- respect for beat writing um, um, from my colleague Dane Perry, who um, is a horrible person on the inside. Uh, but what he related to me, especially from his coverage of <laughs> of um, uh, he did he did a bunch of stuff during the playoffs last year, and uh, he was saying like, yeah, like the the amount of work that the beat guys do, like you know, between the last out, especially and and by the time the, the story goes up, is like pretty substantial. Um, and at the same time, like, obviously, and probably more particularly from a, a sort of a sabermetric um, a crowd, 
there's going to be more of that that fire Joe Morgan instinct, right? And so I'm curious, having that one voice, the, the fire Joe Morgan voice in your head, but also knowing you have to do this job, it, do you, do you think that maybe sometimes th- there's a there's a, a, a population out there that's not entirely fair to the beat reporter in the, the sort of responsibilities that he has or she she has? Um, I don't know. I I think. I think that more often than not, people kind of, I don't know. I, I, I don't feel like I'm treated unfairly, I mean, from a personal level. I mean, I, I have seen some things that people make fun of that guys write. And you're right. I, I think what you're getting at is that you don't have very much time to think about these things when you're when you're writing them, right? right? I mean, you, you know, sometimes I'm writing a game story that's somewhere north of 600 words, and I'm writing it in about 10 minutes. Yeah. So... Sometimes I will look at it and I'll cringe in the morning, but normally I will err on the side of writing something bland uh-huh. than of writing something that I will regret the next day. <laughs> I, I would, I just would rather it be that way, you know? Yeah. Right. Uh, yeah. Good, so good. Get boring. Uh, uh, err on the side of boring in, the, in those cases. Yeah, but I mean, I don't think like I don't know. There's there's just so much interesting stuff to say about baseball in this in this information age that we have that I don't know. I mean. Last night, you can look up immediately. You know, Wade, Wade Miley had a dead arm for most of spring training. His velocity was down. And I can bring up the Brooks baseball page and find that his fastball velocity was one-tenth of a mile per hour below what it was last season. Okay. That's pretty interesting. Right. You know, I mean, there's, there's just, like, so much, so many different ways you can go to, to write about baseball factually nowadays that you don't necessarily need to manufacture all of these all of these fake narratives. I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'm weird, and I find some of that stuff more interesting than it actually is. Mm-hmm. But that's that's the way I see it. Um, in terms of this particular team, uh, uh, as I said, we're we're here before the game, the Saturday night game, uh, which features uh, Patrick Corbin, um, uh, who is making his first start of the season. Uh, he's, I think, he's the number five guy in the rotation at this point. He won it out of camp, right? Over, uh, I guess, the likes of. Chase Anderson, maybe, and... Tyler Skaggs, Tyler Skaggs. Delgado. Randall Delgado, right. So, and and that's, of course, this is a feature of this team, is there's a lot of pitching depth. Um, you can kind of go go pretty far. And yeah. I read an article you wrote about Brandon McCarthy, say this is this is why McCarthy makes a lot of sense for Dynamax, because we do have so much depth. Yeah. Um, so we can get the good innings out of McCarthy, but the step down is not that huge. Um, what, what else have you sort of... What have been the, the kind of things you see fermenting with this team, beginning to develop with this team? Yeah, I mean, I, I guess I would say, uh, I mean, it's only been four games at this point, sure. right? Sure, but, but also spring training. Feel free yeah. to dive into that. Yeah. I do think that there is more of an aspect of being willing to kind of give yourself up to get a run home. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I guess maybe it's not just that that they're more willing to. I think that they're just a little bit better at it. Okay. Um, I think that guys like like Prado especially uh, just kind of handles he handles the bat in a lot different of a way than um, Christian or Justin Upton would have. Right. You know. Right. Um, well, he's got a super contact heavy approach. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that was kind of what I was what we were talking about Gip, talking about with Gibson earlier today was that you know the the Prado's a good hitter. Right. You know, is it worth it for him to be to be spraying the ball around? to move a runner over or should he be trying to drive the ball because he's one of their better hitters and it's it's an interesting kind of philosophical debate but I I do feel like that's something that they're they, they are just all about like 
you know, what can we do for the team? What what can what's going to get me those high fives in the dugout when right. I get back there? Yeah. Now, I mean, I'm sure you're aware that in in many cases, uh, sacrifice bunts, or or essentially the equivalent of a sacrifice bunt, where if you have a guy on second and you ground it to the right side to get him to third, uh, as opposed to maybe a hitter like Martin Prado swinging away. Um, see what he can do with it. In many cases, that might be an, a net negative. That's exactly what we were talking about with Gibson, and I was kind of making that argument with him. Um, now, I, I, I guess like here's the argu- here's the argument. Like Gibson would say that he would take the runner on third. I was just looking at this the, the yeah. Tom Tango run matrix like uh-huh. right before we started. You know, runner on third, one out versus runner on second, zero out gives you a 67 percent chance of scoring versus a 63 percent chance of scoring just the one run. Right now. That those same situations over the course of the entire inning, the number of total runs on average scored goes down. Right. So I think they're more thinking like we just want to get that one run. We want to we want to get that lead. And, and right. you know I can understand it if it's you know the eighth or ninth inning of a tie game. Yeah. I'm not sure I want Martin Prado doing that in the early innings. But hey, that's just the way that I look at it. Right. Yeah, and that's interesting because I'm wondering like. When you're there, obviously you're only going to be contrarian to a certain point of view. Not necessarily contrarian, but knowing, but having a hold over a certain body of work, like like Tango, you're saying, you know these things have been rendered empirically, uh, but at the same time, Kirk Gibson is the one who's ultimately responsible for the team winning or losing. So uh, I wonder, like, do do you have a sense of like how hard to push or in what way like you're like you sort of will push? before you're like, all right, this is what he thinks, and it's not my job to... Yeah, I mean, I'll bring these things up, and I'll try to get his thoughts in... So just so that I can present them in context accurately when I write the story, I'm not really going to push him, because he doesn't care what I think. That's that's the fact. (laughs) I mean, we've had other managers that maybe would be interested from just a curiosity level to have that kind of debate. Gibson does like to debate, but he's not going... To, I don't think that there's any chance I'm going to change his mind right, on anything. Right, right. Uh, I will say, you know, I was down in the, the Diamondbacks uh, clubhouse earlier, and that's like a pretty impressive array of people whose baseball cards I had <laughs> <laughs> um, in terms of the coaching staff down there. Because it's Kurt Gibson, uh, Alan Trammell, um, Matt Williams mm-hmm. is down there, is, was Don Baylor? Did I see Don? Yep. Yeah, Don Charles Baylor. Charles Nagy. Charles. Oh, is he really? Yeah, you didn't see him yet. It's like um, it's like a really crazy bunch of guys who like all came like all were superstars from like the mid '80s to mid '90s. There's also a guy on the coaching staff who was in a Simpsons episode or the famous Simpsons. Episode. And it, which is who? Steve Sachs. Oh, is that right? I didn't I didn't see Steve Sachs. Yeah. My God, yeah. That's uh, it's like really crazy. Like I feel like other coaching staffs like. It's maybe more varied in terms of like the generational part, or they're just older crews. Um, but this is like this is all like they're all the same age basically, and I mean a bunch of them played with each other too. Yeah. I, it's sort. Is it weird for you? Because you, I assume you grew up in the eighties uh, and yeah. in early nineties, and like you're like oh like I saw you play, and now you're here in front of me. It is weird. I, I mean, I think it's bizarre when, I mean. Did you see that one where uh, Leslie Nope like was sick and went up to the front and like put on this incredible display and after they cut to Adam Scott and he's like that was like Kirk Gibson in the World Series and yeah. I'm like 
that's amazing. Like Kurt Gibson <laughs> is getting referenced on Parks and Rec, and he like knows who I am. Yeah, I don't. I still there's still an element of that that I have trouble getting over. Yeah, yeah, well, it was a lot of fun. And then just uh, one uh, one last question. Like in terms of it, um, this is totally disjointed, but it's because okay. I'm not good at what I do. I, I, just, I, I thought you were a professional podcaster with this. You, uh, it's it's only podcasting. It's not like important. Um, so. So in terms of a timing, timing. So you were saying like you like the fact that the day is regimented. Um, of course, th- this is like I am very much getting used to that regiment, right? So like, it seems to me what happens is you arrive at the park, and then the clubhouse is open roughly three and a half hours before. Right. Is this is this is this a uh, uniform across all? Of the, okay. Yeah, yeah. And then it goes on. That happens for like an hour. Yeah, roughly. And yeah. then and then the batting practices. But today I was in the clubhouse after batting practice started but I tried to enter one of the clubhouses last time after batting practice started and I couldn't is that what did I do wrong or right was I breaking the rules today did, did you give the right handshake to the guy at the door I think that he is um, he feels sorry for me I think I got received pity I don't know if that is that part of the handshake you know you're not allowed in after after batting practice starts they close it down um, right. it's it's very weird the, the like there, there's all sorts of little times when you're supposed to be in there and times not. Sometimes you can cut through, sometimes you can't. Spring training, all rules are and bets are off. It's okay. It's weird, but yeah. You, but you look, you look, you know, great because you're an actual professional person. You look so comfortable when you're you're walking around like, hey, I'm the club girl. What do you want to do? <laughs> and uh, you you talk like that. Um, you actually just are using a weird podcast voice right now. Uh, <laughs> You actually are from the, from Brooklyn in 1975. You were uh, all, you were all yeah. you, you're all, all in all of John Travolta's early films. <laughs> A lot of people don't know that. Um, uh, but yeah, but um, I guess that just you just figure it out eventually. Is that the idea? I mean, do you, my my real question is, it's totally um, self serving. Is my point? Will I figure it out, or will I always be trembling like a leaf whenever I'm walking around uh, on the service level? Well. I guess like a couple of things come to mind. Yeah. When I first got started, the Dimebacks had like a veteran team. Okay. You know, and I was this 25-year-old whatever, you know. Yeah. And I was pretty intimidated, you know, just kind of, you know, Luis Gonzalez and, and Sean Green and, you know, Craig Council and all these guys that I just I didn't feel comfortable what, with. You're I, making you one of the few people ever intimidated by Craig Council. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Um but I just didn't have these relationships with them. And then when all of the younger guys came in, um, the Diamondbacks had like that this influx of, of young players right around that time. I it just kind of it made it a lot easier for me, and I just felt a lot more comfortable. Right. But um, I will say this: even when I pop over to the other team's clubhouse, right, it's a completely different world, and I am just totally fish out of water, and I I don't feel the same. It's it's just every clubhouse is distinct and unique okay yeah. um and and you just you just kind of feel you can just tell that you don't belong you right. know what i mean i think there's like a different level for a beat writer right when they're in there like i don't i mean you, you don't sit around in the chairs it's just you know there's things that are rules that you don't do in the clubhouses or working media but i i don't ever feel uncomfortable going up to anybody on the team and talking to them just right. because it's I've, I've just been doing it for so long. Right, you see. Now, it's interesting you said, like, once new guys started coming in. So, essentially, like, now you're not the freshman anymore. And there are new faces. And so they see, like, you were already a fixture by the time when they show up. No, I didn't mean it so much as that. I felt like I felt like it was more of an age gap. You oh, know? oh, right. Like, yeah. like the veteran players would, like, look at me and be like, oh, this guy is, like, some punk kid. Whereas, right. like, the... the 
the prospects that were coming up, I was a couple of years older than that. Right, right. You it know? actually so, helps, yeah. Yeah. But so, like, if you were to go over to the Brewers Clubhouse today, though, you'd be like, ugh. Yeah, and I don't, I'm trying to think if there's any former Diamondbacks over there. I don't know that there are. But, like, that's always something, like, I walk in if there's, like, somebody that I've covered before, and you can kind of talk with them, and just, it just helps you sort of feel a little bit more comfortable. Right. And sometimes you'll be like, like, hey, I got to talk to somebody in here about this. Like, who should I talk to? You know, like, yeah. you, you at least, like, have just right. a, a friendly, a friendly face. Yeah. Um, well, listen, I, I, if I'm not mistaken, you've uh, officially fulfilled your obligation to Fangraphs Audio. Did, did it feel good? or It, it was great. Okay. This was fun. Do you have any, uh, do you feel like there's anything I didn't ask you that I ought to have? Um, no. Okay. No. I, I mean, competent, would you say the performance was competent? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, you did take one, two, three, it looks yeah. like there were about seven or eight little notes. That yeah, you scribbled I actually down didn't there. even ask you about this. This was boxed in, and I didn't. This so is you circled bur- it as though it was very important. It says burnout. Uh, I was, I was going to say, do you ever worry about getting burnt out, or do you get burnt out? Or on the baseball? Pod, the podcast is already Oh, the podcast over, is over. So For next time. That'll yeah, be the we'll, sequel. We'll talk about that. Oh, uh, yeah, so thank you. That is uh, Nick Picoro, um, great Italian American sports writer. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> joining us, I'm Carson Stooley, and this has been Fangraphs Audio. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Good.